Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on Fridays in May, each film touches upon Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or the hard way to enlightenment and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie at nortonsimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at laist.com slash sweeps. Elias Studios. You're, you're Latino, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> Include that. <laughs> you're totally Latino, Ken. <laughs> I'm Brian De Los Santos, and this is How to LA. Today, I'm excited because we're putting on our hottest pink and hopping in our imaginary convertible, because it's the summer of Barbie. I think everyone listening to this podcast knows what Barbie is, and you may even have a relationship with her. Good, bad, ugly, or somewhere in between. You may think you know a lot about Barbie, but get ready to be surprised. Like... Did you know she was a California girl? Here at LAS, we just launched a new season of LA Made that's all about the making and marketing of Barbie, as told by her creators. Ruth Handler noticed something about how her daughter played with dolls, especially paper dolls. The doll was a prop through which they were interpreting the world as they saw it, and they were projecting themselves into their dream of their future. Barbie was the first, like, aspirational doll. And Ruth came up with that idea. The co-host of LA Made, The Barbie Tapes, who is also one of my favorite LA girlies, Antonia Cerejido, is here to talk to us about Barbie's captivating and funny origin story. Hey, girl. Hey, Brian. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. This is my debut on How to LA. I love this show and I love you. So I'm happy to be here. I want to talk to you about Barbie. Like, first of all, did you play with Barbie growing up? What's kind of like your relationship with her? Okay, so... It's very funny that I am hosting a Barbie series because, like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I did have a Barbie. My parents were, like, weird artist parents who gave me, like, abstract blocks and, like, wanted me to think of gender as, like, a construct and were not at all into Barbie stuff. But we had a friend of the family who gifted me the solo in the spotlight Barbie, which actually Margot Robbie, that black dress that she wore to the LA premiere, that was the Barbie that I had. And I immediately fell in love with her. So you were a Barbie girl. I was. What about you? So I was a Hot Wheels boy and I know I'm a gay dude and in LA and like some of my gay folks out there may be like, hey, I had a Barbie or I like Ken. But I was such a like, Hot Wheels car train boy, you know. This is kind of adding up to me because you are a car guy now that I think about you have like like a hot guy car. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, going back to the podcast, which I'm so excited, I already heard the first episode. What drew you to become a co-host this season about Barbie? So I I co-host the show with MG Lord, and she actually is like the Barbie expert. She's the first person to ever put together the original Barbie story. In the 90s, she was a syndicated cartoonist for Newsweek, and she happened to write an essay just about finding her old Barbies, and it took off, like it went the equivalent of viral in the 90s, and her publisher or her editor was like, 
you should write a book. Like, no one's actually written a book about Barbie. I, many, many years later, was a producer at NPR's Latino USA and until I've released a Frida Kahlo Barbie. Multiple people messaged me and were like, you have to do a story about this. This is so weird. So... Then I started to do this little fun research into like how Barbie and Frida Kahlo actually have played very similar roles as icons in Mexico and in the U.S. And in that process, I read MG's book, Forever Barbie. Like I remember loving the book and then I reached out to MG and interviewed her. And she just, of all the people I interviewed for that story, I think had the most fun and unique take on Barbie, which is that Barbie's to be taken seriously as like a a tool for oppression one woman who had found Barbie way too racy changed her mind when she heard her eight-year-old daughter comment, she's so well-groomed, mommy. They were like, this is the setup for Barbie. This is what she looks like. We're presenting her in this way where she's teaching young girls how to be attractive to one day acquire a husband. But at the same time, the doll could be used as a way of like skewering those expectations. A lot of like radical women use Barbie as a way to make fun of those ideals. And there's like a campy element. Like I think we're seeing that now with like the movie and the marketing around the movie that it's also a way to have fun with gender norms. And that's why like by the 90s already, Barbie was such a like drag queen icon. So I just thought that was such an interesting and smart way into it. And she suggested doing a podcast. And we had had so much fun when I recorded that piece with her that she was like, oh, it'd be great if we could be co-hosts. We spoke to some folks about their feelings on Barbie. And here's kind of what they had to say. I like the aesthetics. It's nothing against that. It's more that I prefer like toys that you can interact with. I'd like her to be a little more wholesome, I guess. I don't think it was the best thing for a lot of little girls. I just don't. I remember I had this Barbie like dolphin trainer and the dolphin spun around it or something. I have zero problems with the kids playing with the toys. In fact, they've had all the Barbies from the extravagant to the working woman ones with the animals, whatever their interest was. I want to turn to you and ask you why you think Barbie is such an important cultural and political touchstone in our society right now, you know? Barbie's big innovation was that prior to Barbie dolls, all dolls that little girls would play with were baby dolls that they would pretend to be the mom of. And Ruth Handler, the creator of Barbie, really had this idea where she was like, I think little girls want to have an aspirational doll, a doll that they can project their own dreams and fantasies onto. And because of that, I think that as time has gone on, Barbie has morphed to sort of adapt to what American women think womanhood should be, which is like in and of itself so interesting. And so even though I don't have a very strong connection to Barbie, I have a strong connection to what does it mean to be a woman? When M.G. Lord was writing the book, Judith Butler was writing about how gender was a construct. And so I see all of those sorts of conversations about gender and identity reflected in the doll over time. And now is no exception. Like Ruth said herself that she was not a feminist. So I don't think that she sought out to do like a counterculture doll. But it's really interesting. I think she by mistake kind of did. Because one of the things about Barbie that was sort of radical is that she was supposed to be the time in a woman's life where she was no longer a kid, but she didn't have responsibilities yet. And like, she very purposely said that Barbie could not be a mother and she also could not do rough housework. That's why we all want to be Barbie. But I think Ruth would be very surprised actually to see how relevant Barbie still is and um, how much people of all different backgrounds have really adopted her. 
So let's go back in time just a little bit when Ruth started making the dolls. When did Mattel start making Barbies and what was she like at first? Barbie came out in 1959. And the story about how Barbie first came to be is pretty outrageous. It's by far, I think, the most shocking thing about Barbie. And when I tell people about the history, they're all so amazed by this. But Ruth went on vacation with her family to Switzerland. And she came across this doll in a window. And the doll was actually like a fetish doll, like a like a sexy pinup. And it was actually a gag gift given mostly like by men to other men. And because at the time there were no dolls with like boobs. It was all like babies, right? Right. So like the idea of having like a sexy doll with like giant boobs was like really wild. So that's what Ruth saw. And she goes, that's a toy for kids. And there were a bunch of these dolls dressed in these very European costumes. One doll was swinging. You know, when we saw them, we just loved the way this doll in these windows. So I went in and bought Barbara, one for her and one for me. This doll was the Lily doll. And that's how Barbie came to be. She took a couple Lily dolls and had like them slightly altered, basically, and that became the shape for Barbie. And the first Barbie didn't have any pink. She had like that zebra swimsuit. And that brings me to California Girl Barbie, which I didn't know. Like, I didn't know that she's from here. She was originally made here. She came out from Mattel, which was like a California company. Ruth Handler, the creator, and her husband moved here when they were like only 19 and 20 years old. And Ruth was a secretary at Paramount at the time. So she was like very much influenced by like Hollywood. And so she was inspired by like celebrity culture and like famous actresses. And at that time, like Hollywood was the cool thing. So really Barbie was sort of made in that image. And then the next sort of like big California milestone that like really cements Barbie as this California girl was Malibu Barbie in 1971. And then I think another sort of iteration of the California girl is that in 1980, Mattel released Superstar Barbie. And this was like the proto California girl influencer. And Superstar Barbie was like very glamorous and represented sort of the new up and coming Hollywood culture of that time. Um, And so, like, as what the California girl was changed, Barbie would change with that. But, like, as we know, those things are kind of outdated now, right? Can we talk a little bit about the intersections of California and this quote unquote ideal girl? California is often seen like this really awesome and ideal place to live and be at. And like the L.A. fashion girlies always have been sort of a trope here. I'm thinking about like Legally Blonde or that Katy Perry song. California girls were unforgettable. How do you think Barbie plays into the idea of that California girl image? And how has it developed throughout the years? I think the same way that the media has gotten more savvy about what the California girl is actually like. You've seen Barbie also have to change. You know, I think rightly so. A lot of people have been calling for her to be more body inclusive, more racially inclusive. And that was very much a response to outcries from the public and also a response to the fact that, like, what a cool California girl is, 
is seen differently in the in mainstream media today. We'll be right back with Antonia Cerejido and the world of Barbie right after this break. Support for LAS comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or The Hard Way to Enlightenment by Conrad Wolf and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Fridays, now through May 31st. More information at nortonsimon.org. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish. Rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. So you kind of told us already about the Barbie you grew up playing with. Uh, Let's talk about the diversity that has happened since then. You know, what kind of the range that the dolls show up with today and specifically the world of Barbie pop up that you went to in Santa Monica. What was it like? It was kind of exciting because I actually haven't seen little girls play with Barbies since I was a little girl. So I was curious, like, who was going to be there and what were the dolls going to look like? And I was really amazed, actually, at the sheer amount of diversity. You saw little girls of every ethnic background, a pretty wide range of ages. And I was also really amazed to see that the little girls were playing with much curvier dolls than I had when I was a kid, which I was jealous of, honestly. They still looked really glamorous, but they were like much more inclusive dolls. And I think it's really cool because it also reflects... California little girls. I was like there and I was like, oh, this is a place for little girls who live in LA and little girls who live in LA look all really different and their moms look all really different. Here's what folks had to say. Like my first Barbie, I still have her in a package. I never took her out. So she was one of the first black women Barbies they ever did. What's your name? Penny. Penny, how old are you? Six. And what, why do you like Barbie? Because she... She dresses up a lot, and I like dressing up. She's got all these different professions and can be anybody, and I think the idea that she can be anybody is inspiring. We collect them all. So in her Barbie house, she has all the different types and colors. Why do you like Barbie? Because um, she's really nice, and I really like the color pink. That's, like, my second favorite color. I think Mattel is showing their business savviness in sort of like just absorbing all the critiques and making themselves stronger and it's been working you see america ferrera's in the movie Issa ray is in the movie and i think that like they're trying to spread the message of barbie throughout all of these communities that once felt very left out by the same messaging i'm curious to ask you antonia like did you learn anything at all about like barbie and also being like a woman through your reporting and the series or Did you already have that all stored in as a person, you know? Honestly, yes. (laughs) I do think Barbie is like a great teaching tool to better understand like the expectations that are put on women. And I think that what I get from Barbie and the reason why I like Barbie and like spending time in Barbie world is that what you notice looking at her throughout the years is like so often the expectations on women are 
ridiculous. You're supposed to be a CEO, but also like go out and look glamorous and like work all the time. But what Barbie allows you to do is also have fun with the idea. And I think that's sort of what like Ruth was doing. Ruth Handler, the creator, she didn't like being a mom particularly and she liked working and she liked fashion. And I think for her, it was like a fantasy world that she could escape to. And I think that's why Barbie's so fun. And I'm going to take that with me. That reminds me of this really interesting point your co-host MG Lord makes in your Barbie Tapes podcast. The great thing about Barbie is so many things get projected on this piece of plastic. The ones who hate it project something onto it. The ones who fall in love with it project something else onto it. It's a hunk of plastic. What's the one thing you want to share with folks that you learned and you're taking away from reporting and hosting the podcast? Well, I hope that people listen because I think it's really fun but also smart. And the other thing that we offer in this podcast that I don't think you can get anywhere else is that we have these original tapes of the people that made Barbie. And it's just really interesting to hear Ruth Handler talk herself about what it meant to create the doll. And I think it'll sort of better help explain, like, why we're in this Barbie moment. Thank you so much, Antonia. I appreciate you sharing the world of Barbie with us. Oh, my God. I loved being here. Thanks so much for having me. Maybe next time bring in a Barbie and we'll play together. Oh, 100%. That was Antonia Cerejido. She co-hosts LA Made, The Barbie Tapes with MG Lord. You can find those episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. And tomorrow, you can find episode one here on our How to LA feed. If you like this show, please be sure to rate and subscribe. And if you really love us, maybe share it on your socials and tag me. It really helps us out. We'll catch you dolls tomorrow. Bye. This episode was produced by Victoria Alejandro. Our other producers are Megan Motel, Monica Bushman, and Evan Jacoby. From LA Studios, this is How to LA. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. Catch us wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at LES.com slash HowToLA. Erica Washington writes our newsletter. Chris Farias handles our social media. Check us out on Instagram and TikTok at Official. Our intern is Eden Tashoma. Hasmik Pagosian engineers the show. And Megan Larson is our executive producer. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.